0: Clear. You're gonna be hearing a little bit of background noise throughout the day, but it's just airplanes, so it's not it's, it's not really noise. Good background noise. That's yeah, right. this right. is this is the best seat in the house. That's right. We
1: Airplane. got Skyriders now. We got Skyriders now. We got skywriters now. Sky Riders they,
0: Riders they, now. It, does that say Ucap? I can't. It's got a slurpers runway slurpers. in the front yard. <laughs> and you're in sight,
2: Clearland. Turkey Central Brown. good afternoon. Sir, taxi via Fox shot and Delta.
0: Uh, last week or the week before, or whenever it was, we talked about this guy in the uh, trike uh, the, uh, um, that, that flew nearby uh, the Statue of Liberty and got a visit from the authorities as a result. Well, it turns out that this guy has been completely cleared. Um, um, this guy is like squeaky clean now. It's a great story, and one of the ways that he he demonstrated his his innocence because one of the big um, um, complaints, I guess you call it, is that he flew like you know really close, 150 feet, I think, is what people were saying to the statue, which is clearly not a good, cool thing to do. Well, this guy was shooting video from the trike the whole time, and he just whipped out the video camera and said, Look, I wasn't 150 feet away. You can see it right here. That and... You guys seen this story? It's just... It's very satisfying. The uh, victory, you know, for for the little guy in the airplane. What do you think? Right.
2: Well, I think you're right. It is a great victory for the little guy in the airplane. Um, but I think also there is still, you know, this, this knee jerk mentality. Thank you. Anybody flying anything, whether it's a helicopter, an airplane, um, a hot air balloon, or a kite near anything that people know, okay, that the people recognize, whether it's the Statue of Liberty, uh, Mount Rushmore, um, or um, um, I don't know was uh, Cage.
0: Uh, uh,
2: anybody flying an airplane is automatically suspected of being Al Qaeda. Okay.
0: Well, I agree with that. And, and
2: I'm I'm and really tired and fed up with this.
3: Well, we yeah, where this isn't the only place where we're seeing a mentality of prove you're not a bad guy,
2: right, right,
3: uh, in play but it's a particularly visible and a, a, a un- remarkably egregious version because uh, i mean realistically does every freaking rider truck that cruises through times square get stopped and checked for their intentions no of course
0: not and you know everybody ban
3: but let it be let it be uh, a private aircraft in particular, but not just, as we found out with Air Force One, Uh, someplace, any place where some citizen is freaked out by the appearance of it.
0: So, David, you said freaked out, and I think that's really the case. I agree with what Jeb said, um, but I would characterize, and and what David sort of said, too, I would characterize it differently, and that is that that this is all about fear. It's not just airplanes, all right? Um, Our our leadership has... It's fear of airplanes. It, it, this has gone beyond fear of flying. No, I okay. know that, but it's fear this of things. This fear of airplanes. So many, so much of this "quote unquote" I'm making little finger quotes here, terrorism thing. All right, is is all the result. It's not, you know, all of these activities. Not all, but many, most of these activities, these security activities. Again, finger quotes are are not based on factual threats. They're based on fears that have been been, uh, uh, you know. Um, encouraged by some of our leaders. And uh, and this is clearly not an aviation topic, but, but your point is well taken as far as I'm concerned, that that's what this was all about. And I just want to kind of you know uh, applaud uh, this pilot for having done the right thing all along, all right? and Because uh, we kind of gave yeah, him that, a little bit that, of a that, hard time. We, we did give him a little that's bit of a really
3: hard time. The telling, that's really the telling thing here. Is yeah. the, the, the guy had done all the, the right things he Dotted all the eyes crossed all the trees. he to attend a special training seminar for the new york city class b hudson river exclusion zone and a special flight rules area uh... he understood the changes to ninety one point one one nine for weight shift tracks power parachutes same minimum altitude requirements as helicopters helicopters people uh... And then he gets confronted with this and I'll and have this line here. After checking his credentials, viewing his photos and consulting with the FAA, the police determined that Mangio was not a terrorist, permitting him to continue his flight up the Hudson River.
2: Uh well the, the other thing going on here is anybody who um is in an airplane or I would guess a vehicle for that matter, but certainly for airplanes certainly airplanes in our discussion here who is not in the right place at the right time is automatically considered a terrorist. Give me a fucking and break.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, it's uh... we are we are so in and the FAA bless its pea and heart
3: tries to, you know, accommodate the 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 the, the, the crazies on the security must mean no risk ever people, you know, grow the freak up. Uh mm-hmm. And the the aviation users, the actual customers for the airspace, uh, they create special opportunities to learn the special rules. And none of that matters because when you go up and exercise that training and that privilege, uh, the wrong people seize you someplace that they're uncomfortable with, and you're intercepted and your flight's interrupted. Uh, and, and that's if you're lucky, that's all that happens.
0: So, so. anyways, I just wanted to uh, kind of congratulate and kind of apologize, um, for myself anyways, apologize to, uh, to this pilot, I've uh, lost his name here. Barry uh, Maggio. Barry Maggio, all right, because we bought into the hole. He was 150 feet from the from the lady right. story, <laughs> all right? It, and we if
2: were,
0: if we, he was as we know close better? As reported, I'm not sure we bought into him
3: being as close as reported. That just seemed too insane for words. If he was as close as we were hearing, yeah. Well, that turned out not to be the case, didn't it?
0: So congratulations to Barry. He did the right thing, uh, and uh, he was in the right place, and he was just, uh, you know,
2: addicted. So real quick put my aviation safety editor cap on moment. Um, not only did he do the right thing, uh, but um, he, he was prepared for this. He did his pre-flight planning. That's what I'm saying. He did everything yeah. correct. Um, you know, he, he, he attended the classes. He studied the regulations. Um, he flew. He planned his flight, and he and he flew his plan. And uh, um, whether his goal was to document all this, whether his goal was to tweak uh, the man's nose, whether his goal was to, in fact, just you know, get it up close and personal with Lady Liberty and videotape the experience, I don't know. I don't really care.
3: Yeah, it um, doesn't really matter.
2: It doesn't really matter. The point is, he did it right. Not. He did it right well before the aircraft left the ground. Yep, yep. So.
3: If, if, if they want to talk about closing off big chunks of airspace to anybody and everybody all the time, don't create the rules, don't create the briefings, don't create this false sense that, yes, if you jump through all these hoops, you're allowed to do that. That's one of the great things about being a pilot in America. And then when you do that, find yourself uh, uh, in tow with law enforcement, national security people, Uh, I don't know about you, but that would kind of cut into my feeling about the ambiance of the whole experience. The whole whole idea of
2: flying around Lady Liberty, you mean?
3: Yeah, you know, I I notice there's a whole big swath of America's population these days that has no concept of the word irony. I'm not even going to go there right now.
0: Welcome, folks, to episode 193 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on uh, Tuesday evening, June 29th, 2010, and uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar, the kind of shaky, it's kind of a shaky hangar this evening, I'll talk more about that in a second here, but uh, uh, my friends, uh, uh, Jeb Burnside is out there talking to us from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb, how are you doing? Well,
2: I'm fine. I think I'm the, the, the shakiest of, of uh, the bunch here. Uh, we had the mother of all thunderstorms going on here at the appointed hour, and, and I, I barely have a telephone. I, don't, I doubt I have satellite TV back. I'm shocked to my toes that I have Internet.
0: Yeah, well, and um, you didn't for if But your toes aren't easy to shock. Yeah. We, my uh...
2: toes have been shocked. Um, I have very jaded toes. Let's put it that way.
0: <laughs> I don't know um, what it end up sounding like on the uh, on the finished version of this episode. No. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we did we did actually you know, lose Jeb's we've connection. We already lost
3: internet here. Once.
0: Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. so anything's possible tonight. But uh, we're going to marshal on because it's been so you know it's been so long since we've had a chance to yeah. talk that we just we're like put up with uh, with the with the slings and arrows here. But uh, we'll apologize in advance for the sound quality being a little less than usual and. Uh, uh, also out there in the uh, virtual hangar is Dave Higdon, who's joining us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How are you tonight? Just
3: lovely. Just lovely. Spent uh, a couple of good conversations today with people involved in aviation, and a little bit of time looking ahead to Oshkosh, which was Air Venture, which is always nice, and a little bit of time spent discussing the peculiar series of steps that's got to happen to start shopping for an airplane. So.
0: Oh, it's been an interesting day. Oh, you dropped that little hint there just all of a sudden out of the blue, so to speak. Uh, we'll have to come back to that. And I'm it's Jack-
3: not an imminent thing, but it is on the table.
0: Uh huh. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and uh, I'm talking to you tonight from from the banks of the scenic and confused Chicago River in the windy <laughs> city of Chicago, Illinois. Um, do you know what the what the reference is? The uh, the scenic and confused Chicago River. Um, that's a long story. I'm here in Chicago. I've moved on from Las Vegas, where I was a week ago, a little over a week ago, when we did this last. And now I'm in Chicago. I'm in a, the Sheraton uh, Chicago Hotel, which is right next to the Chicago River, which is really okay, more. you got you got the right room. You got a good view. Yeah, well, and now the river is is actually it is a natural river. There was you know before there was any humans or any any Europeans around. There was a river more or less where this river is. Um, it's so kind of contained now between high-rise buildings that it's more of a canal than a river. The confused part is really interesting, and this is totally not aviation, but I just find this fascinating. It turns out that naturally, originally, the river flowed into Lake Michigan, which is, of course, where Chicago here is on the shore of Lake Michigan. About a 100 years ago, the City fathers and whoever else, in their wisdom, decided that it made more sense for the river to flow in the other direction. And so they put together an engineering project that caused the river to change direction. And now the Chicago River flows out of Lake Michigan and by way of a canal and some waterways, um, finds its way to the Mississippi River now. All right. Which that is, was really the point. Yeah. And that, well, the, the article I read talked about it being because. Um, all of the nasty industrial stu- agricultural stuff upriver was flowing into the, into Lake Michigan, and they didn't like that. So they wanted it to flow the other way. I'm not sure why it's better that it messes up the Mississippi and not Lake Michigan, but that's the story I read. It's not messing up the lakefront. Yeah. So
2: Because, because, uh, because uh, the Mississippi River is downstream from Chicago.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's right. Connecting so,
3: with Mississippi, whether you look at it from a pollutant point of view for a transportation point of view. Yeah, they so, both apply. Connecting with the Mississippi system was the goal. Yeah.
0: So I'm uh, here on the banks of the uh, Chicago River. Uh, it's this actually is the river turn, this is
2: the river they turn green. Well, here, that's so that's here. another
0: thing, by the way. And I don't want I, I'm actually kind of being a little bit seduced by Chicago. I've never really spent time in Chicago before, and I'm actually finding it quite pleasant. There's a lot of interesting things to do here, restaurants and. Activities, um, you know, this river is just like massively used. There's like boats coming and going. There's scenic boats. There's architecture tours. There's private boats. There's water taxis. I mean, there's This is an active river. Um, and yes, this is the river that um, each year, or for some time now, I don't know exactly how long, um, on St. Patrick's Day. They they dye it green in celebration of Saint Patrick's Day. The thing I can't quite understand is how they manage to make it any greener than it already is. All right, it is <laughs> it's very very green to begin with. All right, um, and I've been told that they like make it this deep, almost fluorescent green. This this really green. All right, but uh, um, it doesn't appear to be a dirty river. It's just green. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's interesting, but. Uh, kind of a cool place i'm enjoying it way more than I expected to and
3: uh um it's just a shame you can't go by Meg's Field anymore
0: I know I was thinking about going and paying a little paying my respects it's about two three miles from where i'm located and uh, but uh, you never know i may I may wander on down there before I leave um just to you know hallowed ground and all oh,
2: and that's, i've been in, i like chicago um, there's there's a lot there there's a lot to do as, as Jack correctly points out um the, um, the problem I have is um, the, what, what the mayor, what the city did to, to McSpiel. Yeah. I, I flew into uh not that long before um, they tore it up, maybe a month and a half. And um, um, you know it just, just angered me to no end, and it still angers me. Um, maybe I just have a longer memory than a lot of other people. But it will be a cold day in hell uh before I go back to Chicago on my own. Uh um and if I have to go back to Chicago uh, on business um I will I will not admit. Yeah. Um I,
0: I,
3: I agree with that part. You guys have a page of my my photo page, if you scroll down, you'll see one of my favorite things about Chicago.
0: I think I know this picture, David. Let's see. It's a South three forty yeah, this is the one um, with the Chicago skyline in the background, right? Yeah. Yeah.
3: And the Navy
0: Pier is just such a kitsy, touristy place to go. Yeah. I'm not actually seeing that picture when I go to that link, but uh, I... Uh, you got to scroll about three quarters of the way down the page. There's a, a shot there in because I remember this picture, and I bet my hotel is visible in this picture, if I can just find it here. Let's see here. Well, I meant, is this it? Oh, yeah, I found it. Yeah, I remember this picture. Oh, yeah, there's the Navy Pier. Now, now the skyline's a little bit further, than, so my hotel is probably just uh, out of the left edge of the frame of this picture, um, just a little ways in from the shoreline because yeah, the, the river the, is right there. You just cropped out the river. Um, right, the confluence.
3: Some of the other shots have the opening of the Chicago River right at the bottom of them. Oh. Yeah.
0: So, Jeb, I, I agree completely with you. What what Chicago did to general aviation is an abomination, and that is a, is definitely a you know a come down in terms of the other positive aspects of the city. Um, Ooh, uh, go to get a cab to Billy Goat's Tavern. I've seen that on oh maps. God. All right, I'll add that to the list. We're running out of time here. We're gonna go I'm leaving in a couple <laughs> more days, but uh we gotta but, go do airplane stuff. But we're gonna do, do airplane start. Right. Anyways, uh I'm in Chicago and uh and uh, having a good time. Um and uh yeah. So uh 121.5 ELTs. Uh since we last talked, oh. there's been a firestorm of some sort, all right? What happened here is that the, the, the feds suddenly came out, the FCC suddenly came out and said as of August whatever, August 1st, August 30th, I don't know, um, you got to stop using the 121.5 ELTs. And uh, and like we're going, whoa, And, and then now they're, apparently is they're probably doing negotiations and I'm seeing stories that maybe they're not going to be quite so strict about this. Tell me what's going on. You guys, I'm certain, know, know more about it than I do. Jeb, you want to start? Yeah. Um
2: you kind of have to go back a ways. Um it's my understanding that the fcc first proposed um uh banning or, or eliminating or prohibiting or whatever word you want to use, uh one twenty one point five only, and that's an important distinction we'll get to in a moment, uh ELTs. Uh back in two thousand one. And uh, somehow uh, this is kind of bubbled up and filtered through uh, the regulatory process. And on June 1, the FCC, in a very lengthy document called an order, um, buried in that a a one-line statement stating that beginning 60 days after the effective date of or after the publishing of this particular order, No uh, 121.5 megahertz only ELTs will be uh, imported, sold, et cetera, et cetera, or operated in the United States. Um, This is um, in one on one hand. I think there's I think there's a technical uh, radio frequency or radio um, um, uh, reason, if you will technological reason for them to do this. On the other hand, as we all should know, uh, in February of 2009, Cospas-SARSAT, the international, uh, I'm going to call them a consortium, uh, that monitors uh, satellites that have been sent aloft to uh, listen for ELT, PLD, and other emergency signals, um, stopped monitoring on, in February of '09. For 121.5 frequencies, they just stopped this outright, and this was advertised well in advance. Uh, if, if you're just now hearing, learning all of this, you either are new to this, say, new to aviation, or you haven't been paying attention. Um, what the um, uh, the FAA has done throughout all of this process is basically nothing. Um, The requirement to carry an ELT still exists. I have to have an ELT in my airplane. It happens to be an older 121.5 ELT. The FAA, in conjunction with the RTCA, has developed um, uh, requirements, a technical standard order, as it's called, for the so-called newer technology, 406 megahertz ELTs. The, The 406 megahertz ELTs are far better. Than the 121.5 ELT, the technology is better. Uh, there is a digital uh, coding uh, that is transmitted with the signal. Um, GPS can be embedded in that signal. Um, uh, the hi uh, uh 406 megahertz ELT, um, in, in its first transmission, will uh, locate you to within 30 meters, which is a far cry from the the older standard. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, far cry from even the later technology, 121.5 ELTs, which might get you in the state of the county after, uh, after a while. Um, so the FCC, kind of sort of on its own, has decided to do away with 121.5 ELTs to the effect that even their operation would be illegal. Um... After sixty days after this this order is published in the federal register, to the best of my knowledge, it has not yet been published in the federal register. And and
3: and, and it, it was, was
2: the t- termination of that use that
3: really created right
2: the created a a a, um, a feces storm, shall we call it?
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, sure. Let's go exactly that's... because the FAA requires that some sort of ELT be installed in most aircraft and it doesn't specify whether that ELT has to be 121.5 or 406 megahertz it just says it has to be there and it has to meet TSO standards for that kind of equipment well there's you know equipment that still meets the TSOs a couple of levels of the original and later ones for 1215s. there's a newer TSO for 406 either one of them works the problem is that nobody has generated in my mind an iota of urgency about this idea of changing over Now remember what Jeb said the satellites don't listen for this anymore they're not gonna hear it you're not gonna be there if you go down and you're depending on a 121.5 to trigger you're going to get the treatment of your family reports you overdue. And then the FAA is going to try to track you back through your last stops. And then, if by some dumb luck, some GA pilot or airline pilot flying and, and following the regs and listening to 121.5 on the second or third com like we're supposed to because of the post 911 stuff, somebody flies over and hears you. And reports that, and, wow, that kind of matches up with this report of an overdue aircraft. Long and short of it is, you could be into the next day before anybody actually scrambles to start looking for you. Right. With a
0: 406,
3: when that goes off, the digital coding that Jeb was talking about, Includes the name, address, and phone number of the registered operator or owner of that ELT.
0: Right, but but we it's going to
3: it's going to know what kind of aircraft it belongs to. It's going to know who owns it and how to get in touch with them and in the first 15 minutes they can determine whether that's a real or a false
0: right but we've gone down this road many times before the pros and cons of 1215 versus the 40 stick stuff M- my issue here is that they just kind of out of the blue decided to seemingly prohibit no the 121s Jeb, you were kind of telling us the story of how this all played out so where are we are they are they going to end up, are they going to be cut off in august or not
2: well, it's it's unclear at this point. To my knowledge, uh, at, at this particular po- point in time, the, the FCC has not published this order. Uh, it is available on their website, but the act of publishing it in the Federal Register um, is it starts a clock ticking, and you know, that's a sixty day clock, and um, that would put us sometime in August when uh, this this uh, order would go into effect. Um, I think one of two things is going to happen. Um either this will be allowed to go forward as is and the FCC allowed to say face and it will be routinely ignored. As as one WAG pointed out to me or pointed out in, in a forum or somewhere, it says, Okay, it's illegal to operate my one twenty five ELT. If I crash and the thing goes off, come arrest
0: me. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well yes, anybody hears you. But right. Right. here's the question.
2: Uh, is the, Cap the Go ahead, Jeff. The the second thing that will happen is is FCC will will figure out a way to uh, retract this and uh, uh, maybe give um, uh, some uh, uh, lengthier compliance date or or something like that. The third thing is that Congress might actually get up off its lazy ass and do something uh, for, for, for general aviation. I'm, I'm not. I wouldn't give you a fig for which of those possibilities is going to happen. Um, one other point I'd like to make: um, um, the, the whole concept of an ELT at this stage has kind of, kind of, it's kind of gone. Uh, uh, I think technology and, and operating practices, and you know, some other things, have, have kind of passed us by. And I'm kind of at the point where que- just questioning the need for an ELT to begin with.
0: What what do you think replaces its functionality?
2: Well, I think um, flight following, I think IFR flight plans, I think radar coverage, um, I think a lot of things replaces its its cover, its uh, uh, its utility. PLBs, uh, personal locator beacons. Um, I, I'm not I'm not ready to to say no. There shouldn't be any more ELTs. But I, I think it's definitely worth asking the question do we still need these things? Yeah.
0: David, your take on this whole thing, on, on this sudden well, I, cancellation? I think long
2: part
3: term, think long-term Jeb is right. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, we wound up with a system where everybody had everybody flying the system. And we've got to remember there's a small percentage there that are flying old stuff that are never going to be part of the system. They don't have radios they don't need on their grandfather and all this stuff. But the majority of people, if they're equipped for ADSB all that information is going to be there, and if suddenly the ADS-B signal stops moving and it's not in an airport, that's going to be a pretty positive indication that something's going wrong. Even if they're not on flight following or an IR flight plan, this sudden non-motion of an ADS-B position reporter should be able to trigger some software after a couple of minutes. Wow, it went from 250 knots to zero, and it's not in an airport? Right, right. Oh wow! Well, software has got to be able to—you know—it can't be that difficult to write software to say, "Ooh, that's a problem. Somebody needs to check that out."
0: Yeah, but I—I can, can just sense air. right now. Champ guy is waving his hand in the air, saying, "Hang on, hang on, hang on." Oh, well, he's—he's one of those guys.
2: And mm-hmm. he's one—he's a guy, and he operates in an area, and—and and I can think of a lot of places I've been in Alaska, for example. Um, that it would be nice to have an ELT or someone know I was out there to come after me. But I'm starting to think that, you know, in in, in certain locations that, that this is a necessary technology or necessary, uh, uh, product or, or, a safety valve or safety gear, piece of safety gear. But for the vast majority of the rest of us, it doesn't make any sense. I come back to this,
3: you know. We're so into the idea of enhancing our safety through equipment and practices. And a few years ago, the attraction of a 406 megahertz ELT was pretty damn small. A, they still listen for 121.5 and all the flaws it had, they still listen for 121.5 in the satellites, uh, which could help. But now we've got ELTs that will legally work in your airplane and do exactly what you needed to do when you needed to do it for about the same price as a PLB. I see the argument less and less valid, that, you know, that it, it, it's just cheap, cheap insurance. They're down around five or six hundred bucks now for non-GPS. Encoded and ones with internal GPS encoded. You know they don't have to be connected. Uh, they've got their own navigation uh, center. Uh, or a thousand, 1, eleven hundred bucks. In six months, they're going to be cheaper. Next year, they're going to be cheaper. Uh, but in my mind, if I'm flying around, taking trips, even though I'm talking and squawking uh, the Four or five, six hundred bucks that that insurance is going to cost to cut the time it takes them to show up from eh, two, three hours to thirty, forty minutes. We can bleed out faster than that. I'm all for it, and we should set a timetable for getting rid of 121.5. That's sane and reasonable, and spread, spreads it out over years. And then all those 1215s should go on the same museum shelf, right next to the Lorraineses that aren't worth anything anymore.
0: Yeah. Before we move on, though, just let me clarify. Oh, let me. Here's my question, a very practical question: Do, Are people going to have to replace their 1215s sometime in August? And I, no, I think no the answer knows. is we don't know that yet. All right.
3: Don't know that. Right at the moment the answer is no, because there's a sixty day clock on the rule, and it had not been published as of yesterday evening. Okay.
0: So it's a it's a still up so in the it's air. It's not going to
3: happen in August. In September, I'm not prepared to say, but definitely not in August.
0: Okay.
3: There's a,
2: there's another problem too, yeah. and that idea is that there's not enough product out there. Uh, if everybody all of a sudden went had to go out and buy a four oh six C L T, there yeah. simply aren't enough of oh, this product. is gonna get fixed. This, yeah, that, that the whole thing. Part part of the the uh, reason I feel so confident that this is going to get fixed is that the FCC's not published this order yet. I called the, the public affairs office at uh, FCC like the day after this hit, and you know left a voicemail on my phone number. And, you know haven't heard back from him yet.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> That could be the result of anything. Who knows? All right. Yeah, that could that could be they know me. You know, you, <laughs> the storm could have knocked out your phone service. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is.
3: Well, now that we've resolved the issue of four oh six megahertz TLTs, you need one. Uh, now we need a few thousand more pilots to buy the things and fly the airplanes. At least that seems to be the discovery of Jack Pelton and to that, to quote
0: Jeb, we say, well, duh. <laughs> well, duh. Jack Pelton is, of course, who?
3: Well, he's a chairman and uh, top man at Cessna Aircraft Company, a textron company, based here in Wichita.
0: All around pretty sharp guy. And he just tumbled uh, to the fact that we need more pilots.
3: He made a speech recently, and it got picked up by the Wichita Business Journal and some other outlets. And uh I don't hang the dough on him. What I do is hang the dough on the media outlets and suddenly noticed somebody was talking about us needing more pilots, because we've been on a downward spiral, right? Like we have a downward spiral of airport numbers for what, Jeb? Twenty years?
2: Uh As long as I've been paying attention, they might have peaked
0: in the seventies. Yeah. Okay. What's to be done about this? Um, is, the, is this? Is, I saw a story. Is it on our list um, that uh, EAA is going to announce a new program related to young eagles? Uh, you know what I'm talking about here? I don't think it's on the list. Yeah, li- it's down to Looked at it and shared Oh, we moved it down to shout-outs. Um, yeah, uh, EAA yeah, offers first flying lesson for free. Um, this is a follow-on yeah. to the program last year that I believe was sponsored by Sporties. Um, that gave every kid who participated in Young Eagles a logbook and some other stuff. Um, actually, and a
3: private pilot uh, ground
0: school. Yeah.
3: Right. yeah. Um,
0: EAA announces first flight lesson programs. This is from the uh, eayoungeagles.org website. Um, let's see now. Last year we were, this is a quote from who? Young Eagles Joe uh, co-chairman Jeff Skiles. Uh, Last year, we were proud uh, to offer all Young Eagles their own pilot logbook and free access to Sporty's complete online pilot training course. More than 3,000 Young Eagles have already enrolled in that course. uh, With the addition of this first flight lesson, uh, I'm trying to find the relevant qu- phrase in here, but uh, basically they're going to give a first flight lesson, no charge, to to all these kids. Is this anywhere, or do you have to be in Oshkosh, or I'm trying to – I should have read this in this advance.
3: In, no, you get this a coupon, in, a certificate, and you get a coupon, basically, to take to the participating flight school.
2: Well, uh-huh. It's a little bit more complicated than that. As um, is, is I read this, uh, um, I'll just read the paragraph. To be eligible for the first flight lesson, young eagles age 14 and older must enroll in the Sporty's complete online pilot training course and, and finish up. part one of the course. Right. Once this goal is met, EAA will notify participants via email that they are eligible for a flight lesson. After parental consent form is returned, EAA will issue a voucher that can be redeemed at a local flight school of the participant's choice. So it is a it is a... Free first flying lesson. Uh, they'd like for you to you know, show some commitment Yeah. Uh, uh, before you get this freebie. And that's, that's fair. Seems I, reasonable.
3: Yeah. Five cents. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: They, uh, a few weeks back, a few months back, they had that uh, big Learn to Fly day. And uh, there was some news that came out right after it that everyone was just crowing about how many people participated. Has there been any follow on news about uh, actual uh, uh, flight training starts? Have you
3: seen Not anything? Yeah. I haven't seen anything on a national basis. I talked to two guys, two flight instructors locally that were involved in uh international learn to fly day events. And uh matter of fact I saw one of them just a few days ago at Dead Uh he was coming back in with a student. Uh he had three prospects out of ten people uh the week after uh here about a month or so after, he's actually got one active student and one that is planning to get active later this summer. So, presuming that the one that's still staying in touch doing grad school and all that, that would make a 20% return. Yeah. If that guy is typical and 40-odd thousand people showing up for the Learn to Fly days... Wow, they could wind up with a couple of thousand student starts out of that. Yeah. Sure.
0: Well, our thanks to Jack Pelton for... That That would actually be 8,000 people. Our thanks to Jack Pelton for filling us in on this crucial bit of... Inf- no, I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, I understand the situation. It wasn't that he suddenly realized this. It was, it was just a, He's yeah. probably been giving this speech and telling this story to anybody who will listen for years now. And like he said, the media well, he, just... He's,
3: uh, he, he's absolutely right about it. What's frustrating is that this has been a point of contention for decades. And the last time we saw the industry and the community really, really put money behind this. And that's what it comes down to, kiddies, is marketing money. It was back in the seventies and uh and, and early eighties, the uh, the gamma had a learn to fly person that took airplanes all over the country, coordinated with local media, got on local TV they had groups out, uh of course at the same time they were selling eighteen thousand almost eighteen thousand airplanes a year. There was an investment tax credit that made eighteen thousand a year possible. Uh hyperinflation to go along with. Yeah. But I don't think that the the community or the industry that supply the airplanes and the engines and the avionics have ever gotten again, as serious as they were in the late 70s and early 80s. And I think that's one of the things that holds us back.
0: Well, you know, another part of it, I think, is that it, it, it seems like a lot of, to the extent there's marketing, and you're right, there's, there's you know, precious little of it. all right. But to the extent there's learn-to-fly marketing, they seem to target people who, you know, they're trying to convince them that it would be fun to learn how to fly. all right. In other words, they're targeting people who aren't, already thinking about it, that aren't already fired up about it. And I think that's a mistake, all right, because I think they're missing a whole huge marketplace of people who already Think it would be really cool to learn how to fly. Would desperately like to learn how to fly, but can't figure out how to pay for it. All right, it's the one of the things that we've I've learned, anyways, from doing this podcast is that there's a huge community pe- of people out there who are passionate about aviation, who love the idea of aviation, but have never figured out how to get the training. All right, target those people. All right, figure out how to bring in the already convinced. All right, and it's a financing thing, not a mar- i mean, it's a marketing thing, but it's a financing thing. We got to figure out how to how to help these people pay for it. That's what I think.
3: Well, and I've I've always complained that we spend too much time and effort and money talking to people that are already convinced. Right. When right. we should be helping them find a way, and raising the appeal outside the area of people that are already convinced, one of the things that doesn't seem to jump out in, in in a lot of marketing is what do you do with the airplane what do you do with you know what, what's the lifestyle behind this uh... in in so many motorcycling magazines boating magazines rv's camping things that cost big bucks for people to do and take time and effort and commitment to participate in Well, they don't take quite as much training uh... Spend a lot of time emphasizing events and lifestyle and things you can do with them. And we spend a lot of time talking about the wonders of flying through the sky and with that commensurate amount of to where, for what. Right. Yeah, but it's. I think we automatically assume people bring that idea with them and they don't.
0: I agree that would be a good thing but I still get back to the fact that it's the speed bump it's the $5,000 speed bump or the $7 No quibble the $7,000 if, if you had to spend $7,000 before you could go for your first serious boat ride you know or motorcycle ride all right it would change right. the economics of those it would two change industries the equation a lot all right and that's well. what hurts us so badly all right and we got to figure out I, how I I I Go ahead, Jim. I
2: agree on. One, uh, I, I agree with that on a couple of levels. One is it certainly takes a commitment to learn how to fly. If I wanted to go learn how to sail, it would take a commitment. Uh, Absolutely, it, it would take a commitment of time. It would not take as much of a con- financial commitment. Okay, um, and of course, the consequences of of, uh, of screwing up the sailing are perhaps not as great as the consequences of screwing up the flying. Um. Now I can't really go very far, um, if I was on a you know a sixteen foot Hobie Cat or something. Uh, I can go out and get wet, have have a good time. Maybe take two people with me, and maybe uh, out
3: sailing. Yeah,
2: yeah, for a, a couple of a couple hours, and, and that would be about the extent of it. Uh, and it would take me, you know, starting from scratch. I don't know, think a number six eight weeks. Uh, before someone would be willing to turn me loose with their their sailboat uh, to learn how to sail, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe it would be a lot easier. It'd certainly, be a lot cheaper because you're not burning gas, you're not uh, running through uh, 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 engine with with uh, finite life and things of that sort. And it's also um, only two dimensional. Right, right. Uh, but if I wanted to go out and learn how to ride a motorcycle. Um, Yeah, I can do that for a lot less money and probably about the same, uh, you know, uh, four or five week commitment or something like that. Uh, But if I wanted to buy the sailboat or buy the motorcycle at the end of that, I've still got a five or six grand commitment uh, at a minimum there to buy, you know, any kind of a decent new motorcycle or any kind of a decent new sailboat. the commitment to learning to fly is certainly longer, I would guess. Uh, yes, people have, have gone from pre-solo or, or no, no flight instruction to private pilot in a, in a month. I've, I've read about that. It's happened. Uh, um, you can certainly do it in three or four, five or six months, uh, probably without breaking too much of a sweat. Uh, it's going to be five or six grand, seven grand, something like that, at the end of which you're not going to own the airplane. Uh, but you can darn sure go out and, and rent one, or get into a club, or, or, or find access to one in some other fashion. Um, the commitment like is a little like longer, like the seven than
3: grand entry fee.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, if I was going to go out and buy an RV, um, I already know how to drive it. Uh, but we're talking uh, several multiples of seven grand to get yep. the RV. Or for a decent RV anyway.
0: Right. But in all of these cases, motorcycles and RVs and boats and airplanes, all right, you don't have to buy it to explore it, all right. You can there are places where you can rent these things, there are places where you can borrow these things. And so you can go out relatively inexpensively and discover whether you enjoy riding motorcycles. Or you can and go now out now I can
2: do it and now thanks to the EAA and sporties, I can do it for free.
0: Well, you can get the first lesson, all right. I'm saying you know i just i've said this before I'll say it again, and then we need to move on all right i uh, is that uh, you know Garmin and Cessna, Cessna and Piper and Bonanza and all these guys should realize that it's in their best interest for there to be more pilots. They should get together and create a fund and come up with some way of subsidizing, largely subsidizing, primary flight training. All right, because every new pilot is a new customer. All right, and they would make money in the long run. You know, Sporties is starting to, be, to tumble with this. All right, and Sporties is starting to do to, to take some steps it'd be, along
2: these. It'd be helpful. House has been on this like white on rice for 20 30 years.
3: Yeah. It's, it's, there should be preaching.
0: more of it, all right? Yeah. yeah I it'd, agree. It'd be helpful. Hang on, one but, at a time, uh, Jeb, go first.
2: I, I'm sorry. Uh House has been he's been on this like white on rice for for more than 20 years. He's he's baying at the moon figuratively. He's 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 preaching to the choir, but no one is listening. And uh it looks like maybe some some people are finally coming starting to come around on that. I'll shut up there. Go ahead.
0: David. Well the
3: uh the question that I heard from one of the participants on National Learn International Learn to Fly Day was the most telling. Uh, you know, the guy I asked him how he what he thought of the presentation and the information, whether he learned what he needed to. He goes, Well, I'm not sure because I was really hoping to hear more about what I could do with a pilot's license. Yeah, yeah. Where could I go? Are there clubs? Is there like social stuff to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, do people take group trips? Uh, you know, I mean, what can I do if I do that? And I said, well, where would you want to go? Oh, I'd like to go here and there. You can go there. You can go here. You can go there. Pick a point on the map. There's an airplane that will take you there. Oh, you want to get off the continent? There's ways you can do that too. Uh, This whole idea that everybody that comes to flying is going to love it just because it's flying uh, ignores some of the reality. We need to be getting at people that are like the ones that Jack's talking about. Yeah, they want to do this. They want to buy in. They haven't figured out how to pay for it yet, and not like the, you know, for as much as it tried and all the sincerity it had, Drew Steckney did a great job, but the be a pilot program. You know, it was focus grouped and, 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 and being counter-driven. Where do we need to advertise to find the right economic strata to catch the right kind of person that can not only afford to do this, but is apt to buy an airplane?
0: Yeah. So anyways, to the extent that they don't know, they, they, they want to be, educated about what you can do with an airplane i think next time they do a learn to fly day i think that every single participant all over america should get a piece of paper that says on it uncontrolled airspace podcast and uh, we'll fill them in we'll let them know it's how it works we'll tell we, we yeah. get a cut <laughs> well, believe me we wouldn't need a cut
1: that would work just <laughs> fine <laughs> Neville, you have control of the board. Select a category. Disclaimers for 100. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are appearing as this. Neville. What is private individuals? Correct. Select again. Disclaimers for 200. Their comments do not necessarily reflect these. Neville. What is the opinions of the organizations they work for? Yes. Select again. Disclaimers for 300. Anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously this. Neville. What is very general? That's it. Disclaimers for 400. You should always remember your training, consider your situation, and fly this. Neville. What is the aircraft? Yes, select. Disclaimers for 500. But you knew this. Robert, what's a liney's? No, Wendy. What is the punchline? No, Neville. What is that? Correct, but you knew that. Congratulations, Neville. You have swept the category.
2: One of the things that that has come out this this last week is Fifi, the last and only remaining airworthy B-29, is going to be returning to the sky.
0: Yeah, yay.
2: Yeah, yay is right. Um, this is uh, uh, B-29 operated by the Con- Commemorative Air Force. Um, now, we, we have a news item here that, that says uh, all test flights have been uh, postponed until further notice. Um, but um, this is a, due to a scheduling conflict. The FAA will not be able to issue a new Air certificate for the B-29 Superfortress Fifi until next week at the earliest. Uh, the certificate required before Fifi can begin flight tests. Uh, now I don't understand what kind of a scheduling conflict the freaking FAA has that they can't come piece of paper. But putting that aside, um, this week was was the the scheduled event that uh Fifi would would take uh would fly again for the first time in I believe four years. What happened here um, is anybody knows anything about B-29s? And, and I'm not by no I'm by no means an expert. Um, has very finicky engines, and those engines were finicky in the 40s, and they're finicky in the 10s. Um, and uh, here we have uh, um, this one airplane has literally been uh According to this, uh, according to the Commemorative Air Force website. Uh, It was fitted with engines that are a custom-built combination of two different models of the R 3350, which is a big uh, double-row radial engine. Uh, 3350 cubic inches. Yeah, the refit required reworking the engine mounts and some of the engine cowling, making it a lengthy undertaking. Um, And as I understand it, this this was like a four-year-long process. You got four engines. You got a lot of rework to do. You got you know, some of the stuff's probably never been done before. Some of the people working on it um, uh, are younger than the airplane. Um, so yeah, it's gonna. And these are all volunteers, and they're working, you know, uh, on a shoestring budget. So yeah, it's gonna take that kind of time. Um, but VT um, should be back if the FAA can ever get off their butt and get their get their counter schedule sorted out, and get out there and give them an airworthiness certificate.
3: No, I think the on-site inspection was where the scheduling problem came into play. Was getting the guys from the FAA office that I believe that's out of San Antonio, uh, getting them up to Midland to do the inspection of the airplane and be happy with it because you, you, you're almost into the same kind of territory that you are with an experimental aircraft. Yeah. Even course. though the engine hybridization that went on has been done before for other aircraft. So, uh, you know, it's been a long time coming. Fifi was supposed to come to Oshkosh several years ago, and in a uh, routine airframe inspection, they found some significant and rather recent corrosion in the outboard wing panels. And the aluminum alloy used when those airplanes were built back in the 40s Really wasn't, uh, the, the alloy wasn't picked with its corrosion resistance characteristics in mind, uh, caught up. Well, they found some outer wing panels on some non-air worthy 29 hardware and were in the process of grafting that and getting ready to do test flights when oil analysis on one of the engines showed that it was making metal. And subsequent work, uh, they realized that they were going to have problems getting that engine overhauled, and there was evidence in the other engines that they were going getting. Like they were on the brink of giving up, and that's what started this whole thing ticking. That's taken over four years now. Right now, we're keeping our fingers crossed that the FAA gets out, they get their paperwork, and the CAF gets to get Fifi out of Texas and into Wisconsin before the end of the summer.
0: Yeah, that would be great. I was just searching the net for a picture of uh of Fifi. First of all, let me say that if you if you search do a Google search for Fifi images, you you don't get airplanes. Um <laughs> But
2: uh oh, oh. Hit the pause button.
0: <laughs> but uh if you, but eventually, if you do Fifi image B29, then you get the right kind of pictures. Um uh, <laughs> Anyways, uh, gorgeous airplane. Uh, looking forward. Hope it hope it makes it back to Air Venture this summer, but uh, but we'll see. And, and that's just good news. That's just good news. Upper case, F's on that initial search. Yeah, I don't know if Google is case sensitive. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, shout outs. Uh, we're going to cut this one short. It's just the the sound quality is getting too painful. But uh, let's see if we can wrap this thing up. Shout outs. You got any uh, any shout outs?
2: Uh, <laughs> shout outs. Shout outs. Shout outs
0: What do we got here? Uh, I have
2: two shots. Go ahead. Um, One is is, uh, relatively easy in here. Uh, This is to um, Mary Silich. Uh, Mary is a longtime friend of mine. Um, She uh, was a a mentor. She was a, a boss, a supervisor for a number of years. Um, she is all she and her husband, or uh, the immediate previous owners of the airplane I fly. And I'm happy to say, I uh, learned today, Mary, uh, this year will be uh, one of three inductees into the Arkansas Aviation Historical Society, the Arkansas, oh, Avi- very cool. Arkansas Aviation Historical Society, Arkansas Aviation Hall of Fame. She will be one of three inductees for 2010. And I'm just happy as I can be for her. Uh, she is just one of the most special people I know Absolutely. for a number of years. And I'm just pleased to punch for her.
0: Yeah. Excellent. excellent. Very, very cool. Very cool. Very Let's come back to your um, second one in just a moment here. Okay. Um, let me go next. We'll just split them up a little bit, you know, kind of spread it out, right? Yeah. Um, right. I'm, I'm, my shout-out is to, uh, to fellow aviation podcasters, um, uh, Mike Daniels, uh, and his uh, lovely wife Elizabeth, who uh, live in the Las Vegas area. They uh, Mike is part of the Mile High Flyers podcast, um, and that's how I first met him. And uh, while I was out in Las Vegas, uh, I uh, hooked up with them and got together one evening. Managed to escape from my duties for one evening, and uh, Mike took me over to North Las Vegas Field uh, Airport, where he gave me a little tour of the GA ramp, and we went out and looked at airplanes and uh, and uh, and uh, watched some landings and takeoffs, and and had a that's really neat air. Yeah, and uh, had a really nice time, and then we met up with his wife, and we went to uh, out to dinner at a really nice little Italian restaurant. It was just a wonderfully pleasant evening, and I just want to publicly thank them for uh, being such gracious hosts uh, and and tour guides for me uh, in my trip to Las Vegas. So uh, thank you to Mike and Elizabeth.
3: Jeb and I actually landed at Vegas North one night, about
0: twenty minutes apart, some years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I'm sorry, it sounds like there's a story there. We'll save that for another podcast. Well, David, do you have a shout-out? It's really
3: out? amazing picking out airports in the middle of a city as lighted as Las Vegas is. Yeah, two quick ones. Uh, For our friends at uh, NASA's Aviation Safety Reporting System, uh, a shout-out about issue 366 of Call Back. and our listeners, I know, will want to find the link and Go and read the stories and take a little quiz. Because this is a what would you do in these scenarios issue. And I always find them fun to compare the recommended solution, the actual solution, and what I picked off the list. And I actually broke 50-50 this time. So that made me feel good. And another quiz uh, from the Air Safety Foundation, Navigating Today's Air Sports airspace It's a freebie if you register with the site. Uh, good way to brush up on your airspace rules, particularly if you hadn't flown much cross-country over the winter or spring. And that's it for me.
0: Okay. And Jeb, you had another one? Yeah. Uh, right back, uh,
2: real quickly. Um, Mike Bush, who's a friend of the podcast, he's been on before, another uh, um, boss, supervisor, mentor of mine. Uh, Mike um, runs the um, Savvy Aviator Program and, and also the Savvy Aviator Maintenance uh, um, System Program. Uh, he has a free hour-long uh, series, I should say, of free hour-long monthly webinars um, that he just started up. His second one, I just became aware of this actually, his second one is scheduled for Wednesday, July seven. Uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. And the topic is cylinders, aircraft in cylinders, pist- piston engine in uh, cylinders, uh, and um, I'm sure that there are, there will be other topics coming down the pike from Mike on these in, his, in this webinar series. Uh, I'm I'm going to make plans to listen to this uh, to participate in this because I always learn something from Mike, and, uh, and if anyone else out there is interested in. Uh, and learning about the intricacies of, of uh, how these airplanes work and, and what makes them tick and what happens when, when they don't tick anymore, uh, this is a great place to start.
3: Yep, and if you ever think about your cylinders, it's better to be piston than the opposite.
0: I usually get Dave's jokes about three days later when I'm listening to the podcast and editing it (laughs) And I'll sit here and, oh, I get that
2: (laughs) This is not one of those occasions
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, our apologies to everyone for the poor sound quality tonight Um, I blame it on the thunderstorms and Sheraton's internet Um, But uh, it's been too long and I wanted to get together and talk with you guys And I'm glad I did Jeff Burnside, is uh, uh, you're a freelance aviation journalist, uh, you're, and you're currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Where can people find you on the Internet?
2: Aviationsafetymagazine.com, jeburnside.com, uh, aea.net, and uh, I'm sure coming soon to a police plotter near you.
0: And Dave Higdon, uh, you are an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Where can people find you on the Internet?
3: Oh, working backward through the list: buyer dot com for the world aircraft sales stuff, uh, AEA dot net for the occasional contribution to Avionics News, uh, Dave Higdon dot biz for the photography, EAA Aviation Safety. I'm apt to pop up almost anywhere.
0: Yeah. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com, at my non-aviation blog, and cdot.blogspot.com, and aroundthefield.net. Thanks, as always, to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our excellent uh, episode show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl, and to the many other listeners who have created the show opening disclaimer clips that we use. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, you can view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, web page of fame, and more. All of that wiki, is at UncontrolledAirspace.com. David, what were you really going to say? The only
3: reason I live to this age is because aviation, because time spent flying has not been subtracted from my lifespan. Bye-bye.
0: And that's enough talking. Let's go flying.
2: AMFFN.